You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Have you ever wondered about Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Well, if you're looking for a podcast with all the answers about Bonhoeffer, that's going to help you better understand your faith, you've probably come to the wrong place. But if you come to a show, it's going to help you ask questions of people who struggle with different opinions and where we're going to bumble our way through discussing this great theologian and trying to get some nuggets of wisdom and better questions to ask from his thoughts, then this should be the perfect show for you. This is a show designed to give you more questions than answers. I'm Joshua Knoll. I'm just a dummy who loves God, theology, and this guy named Brandon Knight. And I hope to show my love for God and Brandon's podcast by studying and thinking deeply about topics people smarter than me, like Brandon, have been thinking about for thousands of years. Brandon's been here a long time. He, he just, you know, thousands of years. Yeah. So, guys, buckle up. We're going to be talking to the host of My Seminary Life about a series he did this summer on the one and only Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I got to be a part of that series temporarily. Brandon, uh, welcome. You're the second guest this show has ever had. Oh, that's cool. Thanks yeah, for having yeah. me. I've lost track how many times we've guested on each other's stuff, but it's nice to know I'm the second guest here. Yeah, yeah. This is, um. I feel like this is my more low-maintenance podcast, you know? Whole mm. church, we have to have all the guests and, like, all the bells and whistles. This one, I'm just kind of... That's part of why I label it dummy for theology, because then I feel yeah. like I can make as many mistakes as I want, and it's just part of the brand, you know? I need a low stakes podcast. I've been thinking about starting a second show. The problem is I just can't pick one. The problem is I just can't pick one and neither can the Jedi that just entered the room <laughs> as well. Speaking of mistakes. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, but yeah, over the summer did a whole series on Dietrich Bonhoeffer with my seminary life. It was really good. I would have to say this is the, First time in show history, I got a lot of a lot of positive feedback. I get a lot of feedback whether I want it or not on the yeah. show, yeah. mainly because I just have the word seminary in the title. But the uh, this was the first time I very regularly engaged with people uh, online in real life about just how much they are enjoying studying Dietrich Bonhoeffer through the show so excited to be here now to do a, a little recap i guess you could say a little recap and uh infomercial to go back and check it out yeah yeah so i, I have to pause rewind a little bit um I, I'm, I'm gonna inform my listeners so you know we have been going through the bible and just stopping wherever i'm like hey this reminds me of some theological topic we're taking a break for the next month today we're talking about dietrich bonhoeffer you've probably figured that out Assuming you're not as much a dummy as me. Um, and uh, the next episode, I'll actually be discussing um, the great debates of John Stott and Martin Lloyd-Jones. So tune in again for that. We're doing a little oh, bit of historical word. theology this month. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. But a little bit. for Dietrich Bonhoeffer, there was a there was you. There was um, homebrew theology, and then just random shows here and there throughout the last year. Where I'm like, this name keeps coming up lately. Why? Why all of a sudden do we care so much about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Brandon? 
Yeah, that was the big question that launched the series with uh, Pastor Will, who is a Lutheran. He seemed like low-hanging fruit to have a Lutheran on to talk about a Lutheran uh, theologian. Uh, part of the reason why I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer has become very popular all of a sudden is, uh, well, first off, he hasn't not been popular. I think yeah. if you walked around your church congregation, wherever you go to church, more than likely they're going to know this name and probably because of the book, his book, The Cost of Discipleship. Uh, but I think it's been going around, his name's been going around and his works have been going around a lot lately because Bonhoeffer dealt with a lot of theological topics that are very significant, uh, particularly to millennials and Gen Zers, and specifically with this uh, topic of community, living in community, and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. These are things that um, these are areas of theology that millennials and particularly Gen Zers have a higher value on than maybe previous uh, previous generations have had. And so I think this is the big part of the of the conversation is his comes uh, with it. Um, I think the other reason why his name goes around quite a bit is because he he's different. I don't know if I've talked about this a lot on the show before, but my show, not yours, <laughs> my show before, <laughs> but um you know, I don't want to dunk on all of modern Christian writing, but there's a lot of it that's not great. And what I mean by not great, what I mean by it's not great is that it's very fluffy and it's very much it, it just repeats. The book will just say the same thing in every chapter with just a slightly different illustration. At least that's been my experience with modern Christian literature. Uh, Bonhoeffer, a lot like C.S. Lewis, who's also we're going to talk about a little bit here in this episode. There is a critical thinking and a depth to his writing and to his other, you know, his teaching and his preaching um, that is just refreshing. And I think mm -hmm. if you are someone who is trying to go deeper in your faith, um, who doesn't want to just settle for the standard evangelical XYZ preacher, teacher, book person, whatever is the flavor of the day right now. Um, <laughs> Bonhoeffer is going to scratch that itch more than a lot of contemporary writers right now are going to. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I, outside of just like, even outside of his context, I feel like his theological thinking and stuff that you're, that we're discussed is really interesting, but I think, Part of it, the context itself is interesting, where mm -hmm. he lived in a time where you had the Christians of Germany that were kind of doing the Christian nationalism thing and justifying the whole Nazi regiment. Mm -hmm. And then you had Christians outside of Germany that are, oh, these are clearly the bad guys and we've always known this. And it's like, okay, but how do you know you wouldn't have fallen for the same trap if it were your countries? Well, Bonhoeffer ends up being the one who is a German Christian who is also standing against the frame. It, it, it's really, I, don't, I think it's the reason I want to talk about it on this show is he may have felt like a dummy for theology, you know, like really thinking about it. He was the odd man out. And, you know, now we're looking back at it from this lens of the future where we realize, oh yeah, he was clearly right. But in his own time, <laughs> it had to be hard to really question the status quo of theology the way that he did. Yeah. And this is particularly once, uh, 
Hitler takes over and the um, the Nazi party starts enforcing their more nationalistic teaching into the churches and uh, German Christians uh, just go along with it. I think another thing that uh, resonates this talks about this comes up with in the episode with Pastor Will as well is that um, everybody similar again to C.S. Lewis everybody has a moment where they gravitate towards Bonhoeffer usually if it's anything it's it is this political element of his writing and his career this um, standing against the machine standing against the evil uh, political party that is trying to you know, who, well, not trying to, excuse me, who is definitely doing atrocious things to minorities, to the Jewish people. Um, and there's there's oftentimes, you see this a lot in the biography by Eric Metaxas, this idolization of Bonhoeffer as this is who we are supposed to be to fight against our current uh, political machines that we don't like either. What's interesting is that even though he was the ethical advisor to the group that was trying to assassinate Adolf Hitler, Bonhoeffer and much of Germany was pacifist. They were pacifists. You know, Bonhoeffer idolized Gandhi and wanted to go. That was like the one bucket list thing that he was never able to do is to go to India to study under Gandhi for a period of time. And I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit if you want to do more of a, a walkthrough of his life. But yes, I think I think you're right. For those of us, you know, people who listen to your show, people like you and me who feel like the odd man out, I think Bonhoeffer is an easy person to gravitate towards because he was definitely the odd man out. And I think it also has something to do with political leanings as well for his popularity. Yeah, definitely. Especially in times where like in our own country right now, as we both live in America, we have some of these crazy polarizing times and Christian nationalism and so many of the things that even you talk about on your show that I was like, are we sure he wasn't writing to us right here, right now? <laughs> like, it's crazy. I forgot what came up, but there was even something that came. I forgot what it was now, so I can't like point to the right episode. But there is even something that I'm like, man, where was this in 2020? Why wasn't mm -hmm. these quotes going around in 2020 <laughs> when everything is shut down and everyone's fearful and just like, Oh, I think it may have been the episode you and I did uh, when I was talking about the Bonhoeffer side of the conversation of like, you know, keep moving forward, trust God, it'll all work out. Like just very like basic, but still very essential to our faith. And like, where is some of this stuff? Where were these quotes in 2020 when we needed them? Yeah, yeah. And I know we'll, we'll probably get a little bit more into that in a second, but even the Lewis, C.S. Lewis part of that. It was so interesting because we keep hearing unprecedented times. We've never had this. This is like a once mm -hmm. emergency thing. And, you know, it was a, a unique threat. Donald Trump's a unique threat. It's all over the, you know, a lot of news I listen to. Um, and that's not even liberal news. It's just, yeah. Just news. Are insane, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, but, yeah, it's just so funny because then you hear that language. And then you read C.S. Lewis's article during World War II where he goes, yeah, there's no such thing thing as as uniquely yeah. dangerous he's like uh the life expectancy for everyone is still the same we're all um you're gonna die <laughs> like doesn't right. actually change right. he's like unprecedented times every time is an unprecedented time and i'm like mm -hmm. whoa the c.s lewis wrote that during i think the greatest war or greatest the largest war 
in all of history. Like, mm-hmm. and Lewis is like, yeah, there's no such thing as unprecedented times. Go. Um, no, every time is unprecedented. Yeah, that's what it was. Every I'm time. Like, is oh, yeah, that's true. And also wild. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we'll get there. But um, let's, let's jump through some of the stuff that you talked about sure. over the summer. You mentioned why you, you picked Bonhoeffer. Um, hopefully people understand why. To me, this is an important thing for Dummy for Theology. We're looking at someone who was questioning the status quo and bringing up some big questions that Mm-hmm. You know, we like to end this show with three big questions. So hopefully at the end, we can pick some from Bonhoeffer to think about. Okay. Um, okay. I'm saying that now to like cue you in to think about it. Yeah. Oh, I'm working <laughs> on it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, you you mentioned some of the resources that used throughout this series, um, one of which being what I have pulled up here on our YouTube page for everybody, the Bonhoeffer mm-hmm. Reader. Um, what can you tell us about, like, what did you pull from this one? And uh, we'll just kind of break through your series as the way you did it, I guess. Sure. So this is um, where I pulled most of the material for the series. This is, if you're going to go out of your way to buy a book, you should probably pick this one up. Actually, you should probably pick up most of Bonhoeffer's works, at least The Cost of Discipleship. Like I said, that's considered a modern classic. We weren't able to talk about that on the series this go around because it's a lot to cover. And this is a I've got my copy here of the Bonhoeffer reader. This is a this is a thick boy. But uh what's nice about this book is that it is both um chronological and topical. So basically how the series functioned was that we did a chronological walkthrough of Bonhoeffer's life from the start of his ministry, which was right around 1930 or so, probably a little bit before that, um, but right, uh, right around 1930 and moved all the way to uh, his writings when he was in prison. So right around 1944, 1945, just before his execution. And what's cool is that, like I said, it's chronological. So in each episode, we were able, I was able to highlight like, hey, this is what's going on in Germany. This is what's going on in Bonhoeffer's life right now while he is writing this. Just so that way, everything wasn't just in a vacuum. You had a little bit of a, as a listener, mm-hmm. get a little bit of a um, historical context for what's going on. But then each section was also topical. So let me just pour into this real quick. So the first section was on his um, writings while he was in Berlin, Barcelona, and New York. Uh, Then his university lectures was the second section, pastoral writings, uh, theology about uh, theology against the Third Reich, uh, some of his books on Christian life and community, uh, ethics, which was Uh, For as much as Bonhoeffer is known for writing about community and writing about discipleship, ethics was the biggest area of uh, Christian thought that he that he himself thought he was making the biggest contribution to. And then finally, uh, the last section is his writings from prison, uh, just uh, awaiting his. Uh, death while <laughs> waiting his execution. So in each episode, I chose, I think it was like one per section to highlight. And yeah, what was nice about that was that it provided this chronological walkthrough through his life and also got to see a little bit of just how his uh, theology grew and developed mm-hmm. over the years as well. Yeah. Yeah. So this is one that's, um, I really like shows like yours that let me cheat 
for some reason, <laughs> I like I love reading like older theologians or like mm-hmm. preachers. And I find it really helpful to know what's going on in their life during things so that I can have some context. But for some reason, I hate reading about their history, like personally. Ah, okay. but, yeah, my go to for this is like a good example. I feel like is um, I think I've read almost all of Lewis's works before I read Surprised by Joy. So I had no context oh, okay. for his life during most of this. So I just read <laughs> Problem of Pain, Grief Observed. And I'm like, man, he really went through something. <laughs> true yeah i mean i was wrong but the context really does help and it um, does yeah i i didn't know how bonhoeffer died until i heard you talk about it i was like oh that makes sense it's like uh martin lloyd jones i have a really big book of his history but i've never read it i've only used the wikipedia page i then proceeded to read he has like a, a really long um Sermon on the Mount sermon series that I have. Mm, that okay. Good. That's a good um, one. Yeah. So you're talking about how you use this kind of like the subjects mm-hmm. you went through. What were the main topics you talked about on on your show? Sure. I'm going to look through this a little bit just to kind of refresh my memory a bit. So it starts out. The series starts out with Bonhoeffer in New York uh, going around teaching at different churches and assemblies, uh, drumming up support. Uh, support's not the right word. Drumming up sympathy for Germany. Like I said, it's 1930. So the German, uh, the Nazis have not taken over yet. And he is just building a case for Christians, particularly, to have a level of sympathy for the German people who were, are in a state of being war torn, destitute, and bearing a lot of, in, in his way of thinking a lot of unnecessary guilt and shame over the first world war because of because of the treaty of versailles so we start there just like in this very vulnerable state actually for germany for bonhoeffer and forcing us even still today uh to think about how we treat other people this comes up a lot is treatment of other people and how this mentality of we won so we can do whatever we want and treat people however we want is not necessarily like the healthiest way to react to people mm-hmm. even if we are the victors of a war or something that there are people and this actually comes up a little bit in the movie uh review that i did mm-hmm. as well there are people on both on within the war within the context of the war who don't like the war there's Germans who didn't support the war, and now they're bearing the guilt of all of World War One because of the Treaty of Versailles. So that's where the series begins, uh, talking yeah. about sympathy. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, what really interestingly, I talked a lot about this recently on um, Systematic Ecology. We did the politics of Star Wars, going through like the whole of the Star Wars <laughs> nice. series. And it's just, nice. it's interesting how often war spin off or things spin off because we say the war is done you pay for it move on and it's just that's not like we have unrealistic expectations to how to move past war you know because i'm not just thinking of like i'm gonna just step on toes everywhere here a lot of bonhoeffer's sympathy for germany stuff sounds like a lot of the stuff that adolf hitler started off with Mm. the difference was i feel like bonhoeffer took that in humility and kind of stayed within his own faith and like whatever, whereas Hitler mm-hmm. eventually built up resentment. And I think that resentment is kind of yes. what tor- 
helped Hitler become who he became. Help mm-hmm. seems like a weird word there, doesn't it? Um, well, but, but yeah, but, but y'all, y'all know what I mean. And, and a lot of that's happened here in our country as well. When you were thinking of like um, it, what started off as, yay, we beat the Confederacy, turned into the Confederacy has mm-hmm. all this, you know, stuff that they have to bear, all these burdens they have to bear without any help, which turned into mm-hmm. somehow over the years, it's become the rural versus the urban areas. And now we just have a really a polarized bit. country still because we're still trying to push the financial burden off onto the other guys Uh, it's not great yeah no it's not again it's interesting just how timeless his work is and yet still very much in a very specific time period in history that Mm -hmm. is you know i we we talked about the c.s lewis thing a moment ago but still very unique (laughs) yeah in that he he is a german lutheran christian in berlin during world war ii like it's it doesn't get that much it doesn't get more on the ground with your theology than that you know yeah well it's actually it's what makes him and lewis both really interesting so he has that really unique perspective for those who don't know lewis is one of the few people who could say they were involved with both world wars so it's it's a very unique like on both of their sides um so I do have to ask, since this is a dummy for theology, I'm going to pause for a second sure. to ask you. As far okay. as like your average person who isn't like a deep theolo- theological thinker mm-hmm. or anything, are they still able to pick up a lot of these works and books and kind of understand Bonhoeffer? Or did he kind of write more to a... Thank you for asking yeah. the most important question, because this is <laughs> part of the reason why... No, this is the most important question. Okay. It really is. I'm not being sarcastic there. This is uh, a conversation that happened actually between uh, one of our mutual mutual friends and fellow podcasters, Joe Day. Joe loved the series um, because, and this is part of the reason why I did the series, is that Bonhoeffer's name goes around. Like I said, we kind of have heard of it. But there is a, by the average Christian, take that for what you, take that for however you want to interpret that. Um, there's kind of this brick wall there of like, I've heard he's a really good, I've heard Bonhoeffer, you know, great writer, great theologian. I don't know if I could read his stuff because we have this built up in our minds that if somebody is a great theologian, that means that their stuff is untouchable by the average, air quote, Christian, the average Christian. This is part of the reason why I wanted to do the series was so that way, if you are one of those people who is like, I would really like to read Bonhoeffer, I just don't know if I can handle it. I've dumbed it down for everybody, hopefully. For dummies? I, I, and I don't mean that insultingly. Like I, that's, how, that's the point of the whole show with my mm-hmm. seminary life is I'm taking these concepts that are a little bit more high level and trying to put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Mm-hmm. So that way everyone can grow from it because I think everybody can in most cases. So, But it also was a way for me to be able to explain that actually there's a lot of Bonhoeffer stuff that is definitely written for everybody. Uh, one of, I did a whole full book review of his book, Life Together. That was about midway through the series. Every single person listening to this podcast can go buy that book and read it. Every single person. This is – yeah. There you go. Picture of it. So that way you can kind of know it's got a nice little tree there. There we go. Um, This is a book about Christian community. Bonhoeffer, this is getting ahead a little bit, was the head of a illegal seminary 
in Germany once the Nazis had taken over. And after the Gestapo shut it down, a couple books were written as inspiration from his time leading this seminary. And this was one of them. And it's five chapters long, I think less than 150 pages. Bonhoeffer absolutely knows how to write to his audience, how to teach to his audience. One of the episodes we did, I did really early on, was his theology. Uh, he taught systematic theology in university uh, prior to the rise of the Nazis. And I did a quick review of one of his lectures on the history of systematic theology. Talked a lot about preaching and the word of God and how we need to speak the word of God when we are preaching and doing theology. Yeah, you gonna have to read that one slowly also ethics <laughs> his book ethics i did a small snippet from it for the series it took me two weeks to figure <laughs> out four, four four pages and this is coming from the guy with a master's degree who has a podcast about seminary like he knows his audience so when he's writing something broadly for all christians by all means i think this bonhoeffer reader for the most part people could pick up and get through most of it pretty well. And there's some great little editorial notes in there as well. Each section starts with that historical context thing that I started each episode with. Um, but yeah, when it comes to like his lectures in university on systematic theology or his, um, his book on ethics, like those are heftier pieces of literature that you might just want to work your way towards or look for good resources out there that break it down for yeah, like you. my seminary life. I tried. I tried my best <laughs> with the episode I did on like the tiniest part of the book. But um, yeah. I, I already have decided that if I do get around to doing the book ethics, I'm probably going to have to have all of the experts. I'm going to have to have that one's going <laughs> to have to be very heavily guest mm -hmm. focused. Yeah, we'll, we'll call on Trip Fuller for that one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I um. So sorry. There's there's a lot to unpack here. Just thinking of like how accessible some theologians are, because you know, I feel like that's a lot of the beat that we are we're picking up on right now. You know, I'm mm -hmm. thinking like Martin Lloyd Jones. I'm gonna talk about him again next week. I feel like he was always really accessible when I read his stuff. Mm -hmm. But then, like, you have John Stott. No, man. Like, if you're gonna Very read heady. John Stott, yeah, know your stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Whereas, I, yeah, I feel like Lewis and Bonhoeffer both. This is another thing they probably have in common. They have some works, and like with Lewis, you could literally. And I used to do this when I was in high school. You can read the like his like introduction or his preface, and he's mm -hmm. just gonna tell you who the book's for. And um, he's not joking. That's true. Believe him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In a way, Bonhoff or excuse me, C.S. Lewis even has even more range. I mean, he wrote a children's book series yeah. Yeah. and a young been... adult sci-fi series like. <laughs> yeah. All yeah, the way up both to of those and then goes through the philosophical problem of pain. And then mm -hmm. near Christianity is a very hefty read. I can't believe that was a radio program. <laughs> like, Miracles. Miracles. Like Miracles, at some point, yeah. if you don't understand like some some basic like college 101 science stuff, some of the parts of miracles don't doesn't. Yeah, doesn't compute. <laughs> it doesn't compute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, OK, so you talked about the Bonhoeffer reader life together. Mm. Um, I, I'm trying to like I'm going through the series. I know we had a lot of stuff like as far as like the historical context. At mm -hmm. What 
point does he realize he's going to be the outcast? Because, you know, he's building up sympathy in New York in the beginning of your series. At Mm -hmm. some point, obviously, it's probably before Nazis take over everything that he realizes, (laughs) oh, I'm not the mainstream on this. If I could point to anything, particularly an episode that we cut co- that I covered, I would probably have to say it was right around the the Aryan paragraph in the church. So the Aryan paragraph, Hitler has now stepped into being in charge. And the Aryan paragraph was this government document that was passed to eliminate well, eliminates a strong word. We weren't quite there. Yet. They weren't quite there yet to remove minorities, particularly Jewish people from government offices. That did not include the church, but there were people who were siding with Hitler who were trying to pass a version of the Aryan paragraph for the churches to remove minorities and non-Jew or minorities and Jewish people from clergy positions to remove them from the congregation and to bar them from being able to enter university or seminaries. And in the episode, I talk about Bonhoeffer. There was like a a council meeting among the synods that were held in the early fall of what is that? 39. I think that's 1939. When Hitler takes over, I'm almost 30. So that means I'm almost at that stage where I'm just like always reading biography or history books about World War II. That's inevitable when you live in the Midwest, apparently. Um, but so he's at like this synod giving uh, he's wrote a thesis. And by thesis, this is not like some several thousand word document. I think it was like four pages long report on why the church should not adopt the Aryan paragraph and that if the if his local synod started adopting the paragraph he would have to there would be changes he would have to make changes not to his teaching or theology but to how he does ministry so i would say it's probably right there in that fall time like i said i think it's like 1939 this is shortly after that is when he gives his farewell address to his students at university this is where you and i uh, got together got together to talk about bonhoeffer and lewis and he stepped down from his teaching position at the university and took on being the pastor of two German speaking churches just outside of London. Like he, he made a full exodus for a short period of time. um, Once Hitler came to power. So I would say if there was any time in his life where he started to read the writing on the wall, it was probably right there when things started changing. Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I hate to do too many comparisons. I don't think Russell Moore is the next Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Let me put that out there. <laughs> but Russell Moore's uh, recent book, Losing Our Religion, does have a lot of these rhyming tones to mm-hmm. some of Bonhoeffer's writings at that point, where he's kind of saying, look who the church has put in power, the white evangelical church. You know, that's what Russell Moore's mm-hmm. talking about. He's pointing to that and he's saying, look at what we said our beliefs were. Look at where we are now. We're losing this. Um, Mm -hmm. ironically for me, this is, I'm going to get a little bit personal, I guess, but, um, Switchfoot re-released Beautiful Letdown. Yeah, they did. Cause we're old. Yeah. (laughs) 
yeah we are old now but man i was old i was listening through this and um what was it what was it there was oh i had never when i was younger and i heard this it was just like oh i like this music it sounds cool but i don't Mm -hmm. think i really listened to the words you know i'm listening Mm -hmm. to it this time and they have that line of we were made to live have we lost ourselves Mm -hmm. and just kind of rhyming with that losing our religion that rhyming here again with dietrich bonhoeffer with the Mm-hmm. we're losing ourselves here guys and yeah. i think the the reason it's personal for me is a i you have to ask yourself that especially like when you care about theology and seminary sometimes you get so into the books i feel like you forget that there's life that's supposed to be here mm-hmm. like it's actually it is a spiritual aspect too not just the intellectual aspect mm-hmm. that's the personal side for me but then also looking like just at our nation of are we losing ourselves and i think uh these works and people like you covering it, making it more accessible for people today is mm-hmm. incredibly important. Yeah. And it's weird because the losing ourselves isn't the what is normally trumpeted of we're becoming a godless nation or whatever. This is losing ourselves in a way that we think we're actually being religious, if that yeah. makes sense. You know, like we're yeah. losing ourselves in a way that we think we're actually doing what we're supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. but we're not. It's it's very complicated. It's almost a philosophical conundrum. Like something is and is not all at the same time. And that's not how that works. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to ask this question. It is about Bonhoeffer, but it's going to take me a second to get to the Bonhoeffer part of the question. Uh, okay. But, you know, I'm looking at this today. People like Russell Moore and others, um, mm-hmm. Beth Moore, ironically, not related. Yeah. <laughs> Right. They, um, who kind of questioned the status quo of what some of our churches are doing and how the church is engaging with politics, mm-hmm. Christian nationalism and stuff today. And a lot of times it's really weird to me how the church, all for certain political ideas, very much a lot of the times basically says you should vote this way without saying it. But then when someone stands up and says some of these things, they get rolled off as, oh, they're just being political. And that's kind of like a, oh, they're not really being a good minister because they're being political. True. Which okay. really – for some reason, only counts if we don't like the things they're saying. But whatever, I'm going to leave right. that part alone. <laughs> Did anybody ever try to do that to Bonhoeffer? Was he ever writ off as just, oh, you're just being political? This isn't really Christian stuff anymore. Um, I'm sure there was some pushback along the way. Obviously, the Nazi Party uh, steps in. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, Bonhoeffer returns to Germany. Then he takes a second trip over to America and he's going to stay. He kind of does like the Albert Einstein thing. He's going to stay, but changes his mind and gets on the last boat across the Atlantic back to Germany. And it's almost immediately the Nazi party tells him no more books. You, you're not pump- publishing any more books. You need to be right you know you need to be teaching what we want you to teach all those types of things so i'm sure there was pushback that's probably the biggest mm-hmm. you know most hanging fruit of the the people in charge who were forcing this uh ideology and agenda down his throat were doing that uh anyone specific i'm not sure offhand to be honest yeah, yeah. i'm just i'm gonna move on because i don't think either of us have the answer i've just always been kind of curious of like when did the church start like pretending to be allergic to politics? <laughs> you know, like it's just so random to me. Because I mean, 
if you look back at the history of American Christianity, uh, particularly with the rise of conservative evangelicalism, a lot of where we are at now is because of decisions that were made between the 1920s and the 1940s. So it may have been right around this time that we're talking about with Bonhoeffer that this opinion started shifting more. But again, like you said, I don't have any concrete evidence or anyone particular to point to. But when you broadly look at the because that's when the rise of liberalism took place and conservative evangelicals started taking a very sharp right turn as well. Also, to see uh, how the church tied itself with the Republican Party specifically, Jesus and John Wayne by uh, Kristen Cobez de May. Am, mm-hmm. I, am I saying that right? Yeah. She's been on the so. whole church podcast also. So, you know, check you that get out. All the, She's cool. You get all the good guests, man. You had Caitlin Shes. lucky. You had her. I'm jealous. I do. Caitlin Shes <laughs> was cool. She was one of those people that's just like, you know, I would just like to talk to you just because like it doesn't need to be for a podcast. Oh, this yeah. Just a it's a conversation. It's a bummer. She li- well, I guess she. Li- She's out by you. I'm here in yeah. Chicago land. Like I would totally just like hang out with her. I was going to say but it's a bummer that she's so popular. <laughs> yeah. like, I wish you were just some nobody that lived on my street. <laughs> right. Wheaton isn't far from me, though. So technically I could figure out how to hang out with Phil Vischer and Sky Jatani. But do it. That might take some work. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, Esau yeah. McCulley, too, because he teaches at Wheaton. Yeah. yeah. So we've teased it a few times. Uh huh. You you had me on for some reason. <laughs> You made a mistake and uh, invited me on as a guest. No, we we reviewed a couple of essays from C.S. Lewis mm-hmm. and Dietrich Bonhoeffer concerning once the war started. Um, I, I think it was really around this question of is there still a point in doing theology, which yes. is important to both of our shows, you know, seminary life and dummy for theology. Is, is there a point mm-hmm. in caring about theology, continuing seminaries? Um you want, you want to talk about how they answer that and what made you decide to include this uh, comparison in the series? Sure. Well, the I decided to do this comparison because I knew that uh, that uh, C.S. Lewis, I had read it already, that he does a he has a very famous I think it was a sermon that he taught at the at Oxford College's um, chapel for Anglicans on learning at wartime, I believe is what it's called. Mm-hmm. And knowing that he had that, and Lewis is, a, as we've already established, one of the other prominent uh, theologians of World War II, of the World War II era. And Bonhoeffer, ha- as I'm going through the reader, had one as well of being a student during the war. I think it's titled differently. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, well, this seems like the most ideal scenario here let's take two of the heavyweights of this era and put them back to back what was really cool i didn't know this at all until i started doing the historical context parts is that like i said bonhoeffer is teaching his is giving this final address to his students like right after the nazis have taken over germany lewis is a few years later when World War II has started. So it is bookending two, uh, two different time periods. You have ger- the Nazis have taken over, the Nazis have started World War II. So it's mm-hmm. in a way kind of bookending each other. I wish I could find like a third person to like do the end of the war. Okay, here's this person on the end of the war, but um, did not find anybody. I'm sure there's got to be yes. someone. <laughs> 
Yes, I'm sure there's someone. And actually, yeah. there's another way that we could run it back and do another Lewis and Bonhoeffer comparison oh. series at some point. Yes, um, we could talk about that more in a moment. But <laughs> yeah, it was really good. It was it was interesting. I would say you talked a little bit about the C.S. Lewis end of things already, uh, but Bonhoeffer as well. Both of these guys come to this place of I know when the bombs start falling, when things start changing it feels like your priorities should change as well. One priority you should not change is the intellectual pursuit of God. And I really wish I could have articulated that better back when we did the episode, because that was a really good summation. But that was basically what they were both driving at here, is that when things change, when pandemics start, when the guy you don't want, or woman that you don't want, gets voted into office... The one thing that should not change that you desperately need to hold on to mm. is intellectually pursuing God through good work, through good writings and good, good writings, good teachings and the word of God itself. Yeah. Anything you want, want to add to that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, I hate to harp on it, but, but Lewis is every time is an unprecedented time. Mm-hmm. Something about that for me it was like that that how i met your mother episode the glass shattering moment where you're like oh yeah yeah oh. yeah and i'm just thinking through my whole life of 911 yeah this is unprecedented times never happened before and then um you know we have a world pandemic unprecedented times trump yeah. becomes president unprecedented times you know right time uh, and economic time again. the yeah. economic crash of 2008 yeah. the economic crash thing that's going on right now like that's always something that's pointed to for us as millennials it's just like all these things that we have lived through yeah we've gone from yeah yeah we've gone from columbine like bringing the entire country to a stop where to a point now where school shootings are still scary but they happen and it's so sad that that's where we've gotten to um Oh, yeah. But yeah, it's like we've seen so many things or you look back to the people during Lewis's time who is seeing the biggest war begin. The people who saw the Korean War begin, the people who fought in the Vietnam War, the uh, Desert Storm, Operation, whatever, the Iraqi War. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it's and so all I'm thinking, like, not unprecedented. If Lewis <laughs> had the exact same like if he were to create the meme like what we did of like oh we went through a world pandemic all this it's like uh, i think hasn't wasn't that one of the pandemics during his lifetime as well so he had the world's biggest war once and then the second time it became the biggest war again mm-hmm. i think there was a pandemic thrown in there i mean so much stuff happened in his lifetime and he's like yeah, yeah every time's an I mean, unprecedented time and i'm like oh, i mean he died yes, in 56 yeah. i think yeah I think it was the 50s when he died. So he even would have saw the start of the Korean War. Like, like Lewis saw a lot of things. (laughs) And to be able to sit back and say, there is never an unprecedented time. It's always, you always could die. Yeah. Yeah. That you could always die. Everything's always new. There's always (laughs) things that are being worse. And yet this is important. And some of what, I don't think he said it directly, but the piece that I put together was from my old um, systematic theolo- theology professor. Um, for those who don't know, I grew up Pentecostal. Very much like emotional, spiritual kind of worship was emphasized. When I went to a Baptist college, I'm still very much not <clears throat> Baptist, but <laughs> my professor, Dr. Beck, was. He's 
going to have been on whole church by the time you guys listen to this. Um, mm. He'll be back on there. He's been on there a few times, but we're he's part of our uh, ecumenical aesthetic series we're doing over there. He oh, nice. taught me or taught the whole class that one way you worship is through your mind. When you're singing these old hymns and you have this like almost like a database in your mind and it's like when we say providence, what does that actually mean? And you're able to unpack mm. it a little bit. That's where theology actually is important because you're able to worship more fully. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a thing Lewis was writing about when you're on the front lines and all this other stuff. He says, eventually you go more towards your books. Mm-hmm. You go more towards these things that are entertaining because it's almost like you need to enjoy your life. Like not not as much a yeah. YOLO as much as it's a a realization of my time is limited. What am I mm-hmm. going to do with it? And what do I value? And theology and the arts are things that when you are in these positions, you learn to value. Yeah. And, um, yeah. 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 That's a good point to bring up with Lewis as well. Bonhoeffer very much focused on the intellectual pursuit, but he is talking specifically to his his students. Um, Lewis has a a bit of a wider audience, but yeah, that is a big thing for him as well in his, uh, in, in this sermon he preaches, uh, by the way, why didn't we get to hear C.S. Lewis preach a sermon? Like, yes, man. Anyway. Um, but this idea of like enjoying the arts Mm. and that when the war starts, when the bombs start falling, when you can't go outside anymore because of the pandemic, like, as much as you may feel like, okay, I need to abandon everything and just preach the gospel to people and get as many people saved as possible. You know, it goes back to the the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes of like, hey, you can enjoy life a little bit still too. Maybe not binge Netflix for the next two <laughs> weeks, but, you know, enjoy the arts, read a book, pursue God. Yeah, and that's something we've been talking about. Sorry to keep plugging whole church, but we've been talking about our ecumenical aesthetic series and stuff, and just this realization that part of the pursuit of God, pursuit of God, is also a pursuit of beauty because God is beauty. He's the origin mm-hmm. of beauty, and just just thinking of that and realizing, and it, the way Lewis talked about it is almost like instinctually knowing that your life's mm-hmm. in danger. They clinged to what is beautiful. And just yeah. kind of thinking about that and going, oh, yeah, that's um, that's important. And theology can be beautiful. It is it for everyone. Be. So keep on. Oh, sorry. Keep <laughs> on studying. Yep. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So let's let's go ahead. And mm. you did you ended the series with a movie review. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have a slide for, for the end of Bonhoeffer's life. So if you could just somehow throw that in this part as well. Sure. And you're starting your next series with a few or started, especially by now. You're, you're well yes. into your series by the time this comes out, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. you're going to be talking about uh, Greek life on uh, – Greek life. Yeah, the Greek life. You're going to go to some colleges, visit some sororities on My Seminary Life. There so we go. So why don't you go um, ahead and talk about that as, as well? Sure, sure. So, yeah, ended the series <laughs> talking about Bonhoeffer, Agent of Grace. I thought about putting this at the beginning um, just as a way to introduce – Bonhoeffer to the wider audience but this is actually a good way to end the series because it this film really does focus on the very tail end of his life and obviously although doing a historical context talk before an episode on some of his prison writings would have covered it this was a good way to talk about the end of his life and particularly This movie came out in the early 2000s, and by way of low-budget Christian films from the early 2000s, 
it's actually worth checking out. The acting is more than bearable. It's it's you know, it's no one's winning an Oscar, but it's it's a pretty good little film on the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, especially there, the end portion of it. It's available on all of those free streaming platforms. If you're one of those people who pay for Pure Flix, it is on Pure Flix. But it is it's on the Roku channel, Tubi, Pluto, Freevee, all of the all of those free streaming platforms that yeah, you have to watch ads. But the movie is also really short hour I think it was less than an hour and a half. It may have been like 80 minutes or something. It was a pretty short movie as well. And it packs a lot in in that time period. Good movie. Check it out. Um, It also is a it was also a good way to talk about Bonhoeffer's wife who hadn't really come up or excuse me, Bonhoeffer's fiance. They never got married. They were never able to get married. They got Mm -hmm. engaged just before he was arrested. But this was a good way to talk about her because she has a very interesting life and a very interesting relationship with Bonhoeffer as well. And after the war, she does live after the war. Uh, She makes it through. Bonhoeffer does not. Like I said there at the beginning of this episode, he was involved with the group who was trying to assassinate Adolf Hitler. Uh, You may have remembered there was a I think it's a Tom plot to try and assassinate assassinate Adolf Hitler. Yeah, Bonhoeffer was upon a, a part of that group. He wasn't like the one building the bombs. He served kind of like an ethical advisor to the group and also was a spy on Germany trying to get intel for them. Eventually arrested. Uh, he was arrested in the spring of 1944 and then executed um the following it was almost a year today uh to the date uh 1945 and for you world war history buffs you'll know that the war ended this the treaty was signed in september of 1945 so he's executed in the i think it was april of 1945 the war ended and he could have been liberated in september of 1945 Um, And this is actually going back to the first episode in the series, something that Pastor Will and I do a little bit of a what if scenario with, which is also popular on your other podcast, Systematic Geekology, (laughs) Uh, doing a what if scenario of, you know, Bonhoeffer was only, I think he was in his early 40s, late 30s when he's executed. So in a world where he lives through World War II, there's a possibility that he is alive and kicking and writing and teaching and preaching all the way till the 80s potentially if he died of you know just old age in his 80s that would have taken us all the way to the 1980s so it we do a little bit of a what if scenario there at the beginning of like what would have bonhoeffer have thought of the vietnam war of the reagan administration of you know the war on drugs like all these other things would he have finally have gotten to go hang out with gandhi um you know yeah. Just other things like that. So, and like you said, we're doing a new series now over at MSL on ancient Greece. More history, a little bit more history for everybody. Mm-hmm. Turns out people kind of like the history lessons a little bit. And people also really like movie reviews. This is one of my favorite new discoveries for my <laughs> seminary life is that this is, you know, the show is presented as a fun, casual, but kind of academic style podcast, right? I've done a ton of book reviews 
a lot of book review episodes. This year, I've started doing movie reviews. And just like in school, how nobody likes writing a book report, but everybody likes the day when we're just going to watch a movie in class, the movie review episodes do so much better, <laughs> like by way of downloads and engagement. It's so funny. Um, I also forgot I was going to talk a little bit about the other way that Bonhoeffer and Lewis kind of cross over a little bit. But just to finish my thought, yeah, we're doing this series on ancient Greece, looking at topically, not doing like a historical walkthrough from the beginning to the end of the of the Greek Empire, but a topical look at philosophy, mythology, Sparta, um, at the recording of this episode, this coming week's episode is going to be on classical literature. I'm sitting down with a Christian humanist talking about uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey and also what the heck is a hu- humanist. Long. Like, oh, you're going to like it. I mean, you're going to hear it, but you're going to hear it here pretty soon. I will have liked it by now. <laughs> <laughs> you would have liked it. Time travel. It's not a thing unless you're a podcaster. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what's been going on in the show and to the movie review part. You know, to talk about mythology, Pastor Will and Will Rose and Christian Ashley were on the show to talk about the 1981 film Clash of the Titans. Christian Ashley was also we reviewed the movie 300, just like movies that Christians shouldn't be reviewing or good Christians shouldn't <laughs> be reviewing. Um, uh, as as vehicle, yeah, good Christians. Those Christians Russell Moore is writing about. Yeah. <laughs> um, callback. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I like doing these movie reviews. You know, there's more than enough podcasts out there that do movie reviews. So to find a way to naturally fit it into the show does it kind of scratches an itch for me a little bit, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also check out Systematic Geekology. We do some movie reviews over there. Occasionally, Brandon, a guest and the first like year and some change, I think. He was a host it's over there. It's just me. <laughs> it's just it's just Brandon. It's know, just me. <laughs> thirteen of us took it over, but <laughs> is that one Brandon equals thirteen regular humans? If if anyone's the, counting, the um, strange strange Hydra. <laughs> yeah, you know it's fine. Um, <laughs> strange Hydra. Yeah, we're renaming yeah. that show now. Strange Hydra. Um, <laughs> strange Hydra. <laughs> uh, you you were talking about another comparison between Lewis and Bonhoeffer. You wanted to bring up. Yeah, yeah. just real quick. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, Bonhoeffer and Lewis both wrote books on the Book of Psalms. That is I have interesting. Not, it is interesting. So I talked about how when Bonhoeffer was the head of an illegal seminary, after it was shut down, there were three books that came out, just kind of his reflections on the time. Mm-hmm. One was Life Together, and it's very much like this was what a normal day was like in the seminary, is almost what this book is covering. The other one was That's The fun. Big Boy. The big boy that everybody loves, the cost of discipleship. But the third one was, it's a funky title, Prayer Book of the Bible, I think is what it was called. Hmm. And it's a kind of a commentary, but not. I don't think it goes through every single psalm. Walk through the book of Psalms. And Hmm. so does C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis has a book on the Psalms as well. I have not gotten to read that one. Have you read that one? It's actually one of my favorite C.S. Lewis books. Okay. Um, okay. I actually, I don't think this is very controversial. I think it's just one of those things that people hear and they go, and then once you think about it for like half a second, you're like, oh yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I think of all of his works, it might be the one Lewis was actually the most qualified to write. 
Um, sure. Because he, for those who don't know, Lewis wasn't really a theologian per se. He didn't go to seminary. He was a literature scholar. So mm-hmm. his book, Reflection on the Psalms, he breaks down the Psalms as a piece of literature and explains literary devices and how that helps you understand the book and make sense of it. And, uh, and it's, oh, he does it in a very unique and mm-hmm. I would say moving way. Personally. I think you can yeah. say that it's a poetry yeah. book, yeah. book about poetry. Yeah, I, I almost pulled the trigger and did it when I did the intro to mm-hmm. this book, the Bonhoeffer book, uh, Prayer Book, the Bible. I did the intro as an episode and I almost pulled the trigger and also brought in Lewis. But what I discovered is that there's actually a lot of criticisms levied against Bonhoeffer's book on the on the Psalms. And so Hmm. when I was reading about that and reflecting on it, I realized this might be a good series to do when we're doing like pound for pound, like, okay, chapter one, chapter one, chapter two, chapter. I mean, obviously it's not like it's, it's not like a remix of each other, but (laughs) you know, just kind of like seeing where there's topics that like um, cross over and talking about them. Yeah. The short, long or short of it is based off of the popularity of the series, there's going to be more Bonhoeffer. And actually, for yeah. you, dummy for theology listeners <laughs> only, I'm going to let you know next year there's a Bonhoeffer series scheduled for my, my seminary life that is going to be um, tied in a little bit with Advent. So Ooh. more on that here at the end of the year over at my seminary life. But if you're looking for more Bonhoeffer and something for your Advent season as well, hmm. be looking forward to that next year. That's fun. Yeah. At uh, some point, we got to do that. Uh, the Psalms comparison. I do yeah. really like the reflection of the Psalms. Um, also, I thought of it because earlier you mentioned um, someone at the end of the war. We might actually be able to drag in Martin Lloyd-Jones to the conversation. Um, I had to verify, but I remembered a story where he was preaching and heard a bomb across the street and just kept preaching. So, yeah, that was Martin Lee Jones. World War II just kept preaching through it. Kept going. Yeah. So I I think he could be. I don't know if he wrote anything about the war, but I have to imagine he had to. You don't get that close to it and not say anything about it. Yeah. I would imagine. (laughs) We'll do research and let you guys know. Remember, I'm just a dummy. So don't expect me to know things up front. (laughs) So Brandon, I mentioned it earlier. One thing we do near the end of every episode is just three takeaway questions, whether it's questions that Bonhoeffer wrestled with or questions maybe he opened up to you that you want to think deeper about. What are three questions our listeners can think about and struggle with after the show? Sure. So I think the first one that is, you know, the easiest question to ask yourself when you're headed into reading something by Dietrich Bonhoeffer is what is Christian community? That this is, like I said, this is one of the big questions that he wrestles it with, wrestles with, tries to find the answer to, and he does arrive at an answer. And a lot of that, I think you could go to, you know, reading his book life together to see what he, how he would answer that question. But honestly, like it comes up in a lot of places throughout his writing and ministry. So what is Christian community? I would say it's the first one. Mm-hmm. The second one is uh, a question that I am still working on. <laughs> and 
because it is it's a popular quote from Bonhoeffer that comes at the end of his life from his prison writings that um, has some opinions and it he he has this quote of we need to be living um I'm going to butcher the quote, so don't quote it. Perfect. But it's I'm paraphrasing it to the effect of yeah. we don't uh, living living as Christians without God. It's this interesting thought that he has here near the end of his life that actually gets paired alongside Nietzsche as a part of God is dead theology of like living as a society without God and how that's a good thing. So I don't know how you want to write that question down because I saw you. Uh, can we as Christian can we be Christians without God? That's probably the best way, concise way to put it. And that comes up in his prison writings. I think his the book for that is Letters from Prison or something as basic as that. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like I said, there's a lot there's a lot of information out there on it if you went mm-hmm. looking for it. The third question would be um, how much Jesus is in the Psalms. And I want you to write it that way, because this is the um, this is the complaint that is brought up about his book, um, prayer book of the Bible on his review of the Psalms is that he is so Christological in his reading of the Old Testament, particularly that it's almost its own form of uh, anti-Semitism that He reads so much of Jesus into the Psalms and has so much disregard for the actual historical context of what's going on and how this would what these Psalms would have meant to the original singers who were singing them on their way to Jerusalem or in the temple that it's it's a form of anti-Semitism when we as Christians shove Jesus into the Old Testament in ways that he might not be there. So that's another question to wrestle with. And one that us us dummies are not going to arrive at a conclusion (laughs) anytime soon, I think. But interestingly, that is something that Lewis struggles with in the reflection of the Psalms. He, um, He actually brings up this idea that the psalm had an original meaning, that author had a meaning, all the stuff. And mm-hmm. all of those meaning, that can just be true on its own. And yet, there could be a deeper meaning that the author was unaware of that could still be true. I think and Bonhoeffer uses similar language as yeah, well. He yeah. he references, if I'm thinking right, I think Lewis even references um, where Socrates or talks about the perfect man mm. and how similar that writing is to, you know, mm-hmm. Isaiah's prophecy of the Messiah. And he goes, you know... Socrates was not talking about Jesus. And yet, there are truths that I can pull from this about Jesus. True. And it's like, oh, man. So, yeah. Let's uh, I want to recap these questions real quick for everybody. Okay. You had, what is Christian community? It's number one, right? Am I thinking right? I think that's right. Mm-hmm. Can we be Christian without God was the second yes. question. And how much Jesus is in the mm-hmm. Psalms? I, I love the phrasing, how much Jesus is in the Psalms. So, again, what is Christian yep. community? Can we be Christian without God? And how much Jesus is in the Psalms? Some fun ones. Hope you guys enjoy struggling with that at home. And I hope you're all just as confused as Brandon and I are, <laughs> that you're inspired to study this 
these great theologians, we talked about more than one today, <laughs> deeper on this topic going forward in your own faith journeys. Yes, Thank you all for joining these dummies, us dummies, on our journey to learn more about God and to love him better. We hope this has encouraged you to worship God in your own thinking. Remember, theology is for everyone, even dummies. So keep on struggling. This was an Anazao Ministries podcast. If you'd like to check out other shows like this, be sure to subscribe to the network.